Welcome to an In the Money Players podcast. This is a Kentucky Oaks edition. Nick Tamaro here deputizing for Peter Thomas Fornital, who is, of course, wandering all around the Commonwealth of Kentucky, having seminars here and there, probably drinking lots of bourbon and things of that sort. So I'm here to discuss the Kentucky Oaks with uh, one of the guests that I always look forward to joining the most uh, because of his knowledge and just not only as a horse player, as a contest player, just somebody that uh, I really think everybody has a lot to learn from. And that is Duke Batiste. Duke, how you doing, my friend? Everything's good, Nick. Um, just trying to pick a few more winners than I have been lately. You know, it's just been tough grind. Horse racing's gotten to be uh, <laughs> a lot tougher than it used to be. It is It is a tough game. I told somebody last week I was glad I got paid to make the morning line at Keeneland because I think that got me even for the meet. It was not, uh, <laughs> it was not pretty. So it was a, bad, it was a good, good March for me, bad April. So uh, now, now we've got May to contend with. That morning line job is probably. I, I think I, I think I saw you one day somewhere, and I said that's the probably the most underpaid job, probably and most, the least appreciated job you could ever do. Yeah, no question about it. It is, uh, it is significantly more difficult than people realize, especially oh at a place like Keeneland, and uh, it, it is just, it is. It's low hanging fruit for people to opine on Twitter about it. And, you know, generally the only thing that they have down is that they don't have good opinions. Yeah, right. right. Anybody that wants to do it, I, I welcome them to give it a shot. <laughs> that's it. That's kind of how I started to reply to everybody. It was like, if you want to tell me that a line stinks, I mean, I, I consider myself to be very approachable. I, I'm not. I try not to be egotistical or bombastic or anything like that. But if you, you know, you want to point out something I got wrong, that's fine. Tell me what it should be. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe maybe it's a learning experience for me for the future. But it's funny. I actually had a there was a guy who was pretty frequently saying things about my morning lines, and then I saw him put out a line of his own for the Derby yesterday. And he's got horses at eighty to one. He's got horses at at eighteen to one. He's got horses at seventy to one. It's like, dude, you were giving me a hard time, and then you made a line, and you did a bunch of things that you can't do as a line maker. So <laughs> make your own rules. It's a hell of a lot easier. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to wouldn't want to do that. But if, if I can't believe you actually did it, but you did a good job. It's not that's not an easy thing. I mean, uh, plus the way the the way the odds change nowadays after somebody's crazy bets at the end of these races, it's just it's impossible to figure out what they're going to be. Yeah, I think the two things, and nobody's tuning in to hear this, so I'll certainly put a put a, a a bow on it pretty quickly. But the two things that required the most adjustment was just how much money is getting bet at the end, obviously in large part by the the CAW players and who they're kind of honing in on. The other thing that's insane to me is how much money, how much Irad Ortiz moves the market. Oh, it is it, crazy, isn't it? Oh, it's 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 nuts. I know, nuts. which is which is very strange. I don't get that one. Well, and he had a horrible Keeneland, which, right. you know, it seemed like nobody picked up on. And they were they were continuing to just pound him at the windows all the way to the end. And, uh, yeah, we'll see if that continues a little bit Derby week. I think it'll it'll even out uh, just a bit with some of these bigger pools. So let's get into this Kentucky Oaks. We're going to we're going to talk briefly about all 14 horses and then circle back to uh, we'll probably make mention of at least one of the A's too, just in case there's anybody that draws in from there and. So Duke, we start with the one Mimi Kakushi, who is uh, twenty to one on the morning line. I enjoy greatly listening to Paul discuss uh, figures from Maidan with Sean Borman and Pete Fornatal last week, and so uh, he he talked he talked at length about making a parallel time chart for Maidan, which um, I, I love your brother, and I had a I had visions <laughs> of him at two o'clock in the morning putting a parallel time chart together for for Maidan, and so I'm sure he has 
a Mimi Kikuchi figure, which I'm sure really isn't good enough to make her a contender here. Yeah, I didn't ask him about that. He And I'm sure he was probably <laughs> making figures for Mimi Kikuchi, but that race looked too slow based on... Uh, I watched the video uh, last night and it beat uh, a horse named Ami Please, who was a, a very average three-year-old Philly turf horse. That um, I just don't think Mimi Kakushi is is uh, up to this level. Yeah, it doesn't look like much horse. Didn't make much of a favorable impression in her local workout. So it looks like uh, this is going to take quite a bit for her. I guess the, maybe the one difference is that uh, she is coming back off a, a relatively lengthy layoff. And maybe some of these horses that have had more time can adjust better. I'd be very surprised if she contends. Interesting pedigree, though. Right Moment was a horse that was owned by a winning move stable and was actually trained by Gary Contessa and ran on the inner track back probably 15 years ago or so, but uh, not enough to, to get a look from me on Mimi Kikuchi. The two is the Alice look, and just so I'm not making you go first every time, I actually think the Alice look is a little bit interesting, and my thought on this horse is that I felt like the, the racetrack on Louisiana Derby Day was uh, not heavily tilted towards the inside, but I do think it was advantageous to save ground, which, look, I mean, it, it's that way most days at fairgrounds. You very rarely have a, a bad inside. It's a paperclip track with tight turns and a long stretch, so saving ground is usually a good thing. And I thought she gave up some pretty significant ground on both turns, and it ended up that the one-two finishers in there spent an appreciable amount of time towards the inside. Brad Cox has been working her in company with wet paint. She's been holding her own. She's a horse at 15-1 to 1 to me that I'm going to put on my multi-race tickets. I'm not saying that I'm looking to, to make a big win bet, but she was one that I thought at least had a little bit of an upset look. Did you share that sentiment at all? Yeah, very much so. I, uh, I agree with everything you said about the fairgrounds, uh, Oaks race and, uh, the way the track plays there. She, she really had no chance that day with a small field and being, you know, out in the middle of the track and just, uh, just, I'm kind of just disregarding that race a little bit and hoping she, you know, goes forward off training with wet paint and believe it or not, seems to be holding her own with wet paint. So I, uh, I got nothing against uh, the alley's look. It's a little bit of a different rider. Look, it's Castellano. Maybe that will help. I don't know. Um, but I just think for a horse that's going to be overlooked 20 to one, 30 to one, she's definitely a use. Yeah, she fits definitely in that category very well. And the good thing about her too, additionally, is that, you know, this is not a race with a lot of fast horses. Her figure two starts back is every bit good enough to, uh, to contend in here. And I felt like that kind of only bolstered my, my enthusiasm for, uh, for taking her. The three is Gambling Girl, who is a New York bred that ran second in the Gazelle. Todd Pletcher and Irad Ortiz Jr., of course, will uh, will participate and Rapoli Stable with the favorite in the Kentucky Derby. Gambling Girl will not be the favorite. No, Gambling Girl won't be the favorite. Um, Gambling Girl will be long, and uh, well, you know what? That Arad money we were talking about, she might take some Arad money. Be a little of that, yep. Yeah, so she might be lower than she should be. I don't give her much chance. She could give maybe hit the superfecta just on a kind of like a on a suck up uh, third or fourth, maybe. I just um, I just think she's a little bit uh, outclassed. Yeah, I mean, we'll have this conversation with her and, and Promise Her America, but I mean, I guess, you know, I can sum it up by saying that the three-year-old fillies in New York this winter were sort of a mess. And and when Chad ran that filly back, Occult, who won the, uh, the, the, the Busanda, and she just was a complete no-show in the Gazelle, that made a bad group of horses look even worse, in my opinion. Me, I'm, I doubt you hold out any hope for, for these two fillies. Yeah, not much. I mean, she did run what she ran fourth, the wet paint. She got beat five lengths in a, in a race that kind of 
you know, she didn't really do too much running. So I, like, I, like I said, I don't think she can win. I think she can hit, she could hit fourth or fifth, third, fourth, fifth, but not worth uh, talking about too much. I don't think. I agree. Moving on to number four, Southlawn. This is a filly who is the third choice on the morning line. Norm Cassie will saddle her a winner of two straight, including the uh, Fairgrounds Oaks, which we talked about a little bit earlier. And, and, you know, Rayla Gutierrez put just an incredibly good ride on her in there, saving ground early, getting her outside when he needed to in order to be able to produce that that last run. And um, she's a horse that's going to take a lot of support. I, I don't, I feel as if I don't really have a, a great case to make against her. I don't know if she's as good as her last race looks, but I mean, we now know that she at least was able to duplicate a figure that is probably going to put her in the conversation. Um, I, I just, I guess the question is, is, does she have a forward move in her? Because she's probably going to have to run a little bit better under maybe circumstances that aren't quite as ideal. I'd make her more of a fringe player on the win end. Yeah, uh, you know, if we like the alley's look a little bit to get in it, we can't throw out South Lawn. But that being said, um, Norm Cassie was seemed like he was on fire, you know, uh, this winter. And I'm not sure that's going to keep going, but um, I love Ray Lou Gutierrez. I think he is an upcoming really, really good rider. I think he puts horses in the race. I think he saves ground. I just think he's uh, – I don't know what the hell he was doing at Finger Lakes for a few years because uh, – he should have won every race that he was in when he was there based on what he does now. So, but he, uh, this horse, I mean, I think again, this is a, another one of these horses that you can use for third and fourth. I don't see her winning, but, um, off the good trip last time. And I just think she just, uh, is going to be too low odds for what, you know, what I'm looking for. Yeah. As Duke was alluding to basically from January 1st, through April 1st of 2023, Norm Cassie was 19 for 63 with a 342 ROI, hitting at a 30% clip, which, you know, is, is pretty incredible. Um, he's showing on the year 17 of 64, so I think my stats might go a little bit back into to the end of last year. But still, I mean, his, his barn has been on an absolute tear, and uh, whether he'll continue to produce at that level, I'm, I'm not sure. It's, it, it is, it's funny that you bring up Ray Lou like that, who's just a really, really nice kid, and, and, and I hope a, a future star as well. He was at Sam Houston two years ago. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible how quickly he's uh, he's risen. And you get the right right agent and the right combination of things, you can definitely make stuff happen. So I'll always be rooting for him. The five is Wonder Wheel, who was last year's two year old Eclipse Award winner, having won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies in addition to another Grade One, taking the Alcibiades. Boy, I mean, this it looks like she has just she peaked, and that's that, huh? Yeah, it looks like she's off form. Um... The only thing is they tried to really take a hold of her last time, which um, which was interesting. Is she seems like she's got, she's got, I mean, races where she's gone to the lead. She's got races where she's gone back. So I don't, I mean, I'm not sure. They switched to Rosario and he usually likes to take horses back. So I don't, it'll be interesting to see what he does. I, uh, I just think she's off form a little bit and uh, I got to see something, you know, before I can, before I can wager on her. Yeah, I mean, you're a guy who watches a lot of replays, and, and you know, I, I like to as well. And the Juvenile Phillies was one of those races that you knew afterwards watching the replay. I said to myself, the worst thing that could have happened to this filly is that she won this race with this style. Because now they're going to think she's some kind of off-the-pace horse that needs to sit back and make one run. When really, Tyler just adapted to the, the pace scenario in that race beautifully. And it's it's... I think it's dogged her in two straight races. I think she, and and again, I mean, as you alluded to, they put on the wrong guy if they want to be forwardly placed, but she should absolutely be allowed to run early. I think her biggest weapon is having some early speed. I fear, I fear it might be gone. 
So yeah, it looks like it, right? I mean, uh, it looks like they tried to make her a closer, which I'm not sure that's like you said. I don't think that's her style actually, because when she won the the Alcibiades or whatever the heck that thing's called, I mean, she used her speed to her advantage, and and you know, she had speed her first four races, and and they got maybe a little lucky in the in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, but if they're gonna go back to uh, winning ways, they got to go forward. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, speaking of a horse that's going to be forward, the six botanical is the second choice on the morning line at four to one. She's actually the only filly in this race with two 90 plus buyer speed figures. I think she's actually the only filly in the race with even one. Um, having earned those last two on the synthetic surface up at Turfway, she is a horse that uh, wired the field last time out in the Bourbonette Oaks. Two starts back, she raided off the pace in the Cincinnati Trophy and was able to get the job done. These Brad Cox horses that have gone synthetic to dirt, I mean, I have to admit, They've run better than I expected. Wet paint ran well, obviously, to win the Martha Washington and then continue on. He did have a filly that ran in New York a couple of times that was going synthetic to dirt this winter that really didn't perform well. I mean, I don't I don't want to go out on a limb and, and take a big stand against this filly. I think she might actually be very good, and uh, she scares me enough to get on to, to pretty much the majority of my multi-race tickets. Am I being too fearful? Well, like you said, she's got she's got good figures, be it that. That being said, they're on the poly track, so right. we don't know if she can run on dirt. So it's hard to take a low price, guessing a horse can run on the dirt for the first time, especially against the best three-year-old fillies in the country for the first time. So it's it's a it's a tough one. I, I always get, like, like you said, I think you have to use in your multi-race wagers, but would I keep a horse like this? Never. Never at what odds she's going to be. She'll probably be second choice, right? behind uh, wet paint and I don't see that price being uh, worthy. Yeah, I totally agree. I think she'll get, I think the morning line, that portion of it is very accurate. I think she'll be the second choice. And she obviously is a filly who woke up quite a bit on the synthetic and, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm envisioning she'll run well, but again, I, I still have a few reservations. That brings us to the morning line favorite and the likely uh, pretty solid favorite in this field, Wet Paint for Brad Cox, who is a winner of three straight, four for four on dirt. She has caught a wet surface three of the four times that she's raced, but she was victorious last time out in the fantasy in a pretty impressive fashion. Is it is it worth making a big attempt to beat her or where are you falling on the Wet Paint? I mean, she's she's obviously the horse to beat in the race. She's um, that was a pretty impressive move she made last time from last to first in the fantasy. That doesn't happen too often at Oaklawn. Uh, you know, watching races there, it's hard to go against her, but it's hard to think you could pass thirteen fillies. You know, at Churchill too. So I, it'll be interesting to see if they take her back to last. You know, uh, I don't. If she's last early, I'm not loving my my bet at at six to five or seven to five. You know, but. Um, She's very talented, super talented filly. Yeah, I agree. I guess I wonder where she'll end up odds wise. I, I thought probably nine to five or two to one was very realistic. Everybody loves those ones, so they're going to stick out like a sore thumb. And she's beaten a lot of the horses that she, or she's at least run well against pretty much a lot of the the major players in here that at least that she's faced. So a, a deserving. Uh, Pretty solid favorite, all things considered. Let's move along to number eight, Promise Her America. We talked a little bit about this daughter of American Pharaoh, who won the Gazelle last time out at Aqueduct. This was a big surprise. It was Ray Handel's first uh, first graded stake win overall, and now she faces much tougher competition 
in her second start against winners. It's awfully hard for me to envision the promiser America can take another step forward. Uh, Ray Handel did say he thought the distance would be her friend. And I guess that's played out so far, but that was an awfully slow pace and, uh, and a race that when push came to shove the, uh, the two horses from Todd Pletcher's barn really didn't prove to be much. And the two from Chad Brown's barn, Sheeta beauty who had won the uh, busher and uh, O'Kalt who had won the Busanda were both, basically total no-shows. And so it was uh, through the race up for grabs. I don't envision that Promise Her America has really much of a chance here, and I don't think you'll think I'm shortchanging her. No, I mean, she got she got the perfect uh, scenario last time. I'm not sure how she did that. So, you know, it's uh, she stalked a slow pace in the right part of the track. I had that track, you know, that, that playing that kind of way that day. So I wrote, so, I wrote how, how did she win? I wrote somehow, you know, like like I was baffled how she won last time. So Maybe she's good, but I, I can't, I can't back her. I had, I played the pick five that day and used basically everybody else in various capacities. Cause there were a couple of horses early that I liked. And luckily I wasn't, I would have gotten alive to the Chad Brown entry that somehow lost to the longest shot on the board in the fifth race. So I don't feel bad about it in retrospect, but when she won, I, I looked at my, at my racing form and was like, how the hell did that happen? So I guess I had the same somehow type reaction that uh, that I'm still a somewhat mystified even watching the replay. Next up is number nine and Tell Me No Lies, who is a uh, daughter of Arrogate that was uh, the best hopeful from California as far as the Breeders' Cup went last year. She is now a uh, second place finisher on a couple of occasions to the highly regarded FaZa, who can't participate because she's in Bob Baffert's care. I don't imagine you're uh, probably really dying to play and tell me no lies at 15 to one. No. And, and the funny thing is I, I thought she was good when she was two. She, I thought every race she ran, she had, she had trouble and, and overcame things. And, and I used her in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and uh, she didn't get the greatest of trips even that day, but this year she just doesn't seem like she's any better. She's her figures haven't gone, you know, like two year old to three year old. I expect some, uh, I expect to see some a little bit of improvement, and I don't see much there. I thought she ran a just a just a flat second, not a no threat second to Faza, and um, she's going to have to really step it up if she's going to if she's going to get anywhere near this. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I don't envision that she can take that step forward here. I mean, she's third off the layoff, but there's just been no no improvement. She's basically the same filly that she was last year. The Tennis Flying Connection, who's a winner of two straight, including the Sunland Park Oaks, and did it in wire-to-wire fashion last time out. I mean, one thing you can say about this daughter of Nyquist is she's fast. She has a lot of early speed. She's uh, definitely going to be able to contend right from the start. I don't know how far she'll be able to carry it. I don't know how the hell anybody would bet her at 15 to 1, but um, she'll make her presence known at the very least. I don't imagine that she'll have much of a say in the final quarter mile. Did you think any differently? No, she will be in front because she is fast, but uh, mile and an eighth against these, they would have to really leave her alone for her to have uh, any chance uh, of winning this race. Yeah, felt that way to me. Let's go to the 11 Defining Purpose, who won one of the grade one preps for this race, the Ashland, back on April 7th at Keeneland, daughter of cross traffic, will now look to score another slight upset at least. Where did you land on uh, this uh, filly, who actually is going to end up being the only horse from the Ashland running here with the second and third place finishers not getting enough points? She's just like an in and outer. I, I, I can't tell when she's going to run good, when she's going to run bad. She's got a bad sloppy track race. She's got you know, a decent, good track race. She's got a really good, wet, fast track race. And then, then last time she shows up and, you know, 
and runs a, and runs a nice figure. We had a run in a, you know, a 94, which fits here. So I don't know what to do with her. She, cause she, she's just such an in and out type. And, uh, you know, she should be fairly close to the pace. She might get a good trip. So I can't throw her out. Yeah, I thought that Brian Hernandez Jr. put just an absolutely flawless ride on her last time, keeping her close, and and they locked Punchbowl in, which obviously hurt her chances substantially. She's been a more aggressive horse early with Hernandez, and, and I like that for her. I, I think she's a, I mean, she's a better horse when she's more involved. I think you could do worse than to, to throw her in at a big price. I don't think she'll be maybe quite as close as she was last time. Not this feels like it'll be a faster-paced race, but I think she's very dangerous at what should be a pretty good price. And Kenny McPeak's been second in this race, I think, three times. So um, she might be just more of a bit player like that. Could also be that she might prefer a dry racetrack, which, you know, maybe... Could be, right? Could yeah, be. May, maybe that's what bridges the gap between her and wet paint. It is a big gap based on the honeybee. But um, the way she improved last time out, interesting that you say that about the figure too. I thought this was a day where Andy Byer basically shifted the variant for the second half of the card, and he ended up using the same variant for the last few races when I thought there was an argument to be made that you could split off the route um, being the Ashland. There was one mile in the 16th race much earlier on the card that the variant that he used fit very well for it. So, I mean, obviously if she had a if she had a 92 buyer instead of an 85, I think we'd be having a slightly different conversation, at least odds wise. So that's a, that's a strong, strong angle for sure. On to yeah, number the, oh, the, the way you, now that you say that, what Paul and I were talking about Keeneland a little bit about figures and routes. And I thought it's weird. I thought the track played differently for, uh, for routes versus sprints at Keeneland. And sounds like you might've thought a little bit that yourself. Uh, we had a, he's having a tough time with splitting variants and, you know, and, you know, <laughs> and basically tracks changing and getting slower, getting faster. So, he, you know, these figures are all questionable when it comes to these people, you know, messing with these racetracks and, and weather messing with it too. So it's, um, it's been really tough on, on, on us to try to decide what, you know, how close these figures are and, and to give him to give her 94, he must've, uh, you know, he, he, he doesn't just like to just throw 94 out of nowhere, you know, when the horse has never run like uh, eight higher than 86, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And in a crop like this, I mean, that matters because this is a pretty yeah. slow bunch, all things considered, you know, on top of that. And, and I listened to, to Paul and Sean Borman with Pete doing the, uh, the pro player figures show. And, you know, Paul said something that, that he and I have even talked about in talking about figures in the past, which is that obviously you look for every reason not to split. Right. right. I mean, you want to you want to do everything you can not to split. But there have been at least with regards to the derby preps, there are a couple of really solid concrete examples on this derby trail of situations where they probably should have. And, you know, I think if you're a believer that they should have and obviously, if you make your own figures as well, you're going to take a pretty good stance on something that uh, that that maybe a lot of the recreational players aren't. So I think that she's actually she fits that to a great extent, you know, like a lot of Kenny McPeak horses, I think there's a decent chance she might be better at Churchill as well. So I, I kind of like defining purpose and I feel like I'm, I'm talking myself into her a little bit more <laughs> as we, as we go through, which was bound to happen at some point. So interesting runner there, no doubt about it. The 12 is Dorothy Vader winner of the devoted Dale last time out. And she had enough points to get into this race based on that. I came back in the Gulfstream park Oaks and, I thought Duke, she just looked like a distance limited horse. I don't, I don't really see her getting better at a mile and an eighth. Obviously I like Saez, uh, the, the fact that he'll want to be forwardly placed, but she looks like a pace factor at, at the very best to me. 
Yeah, for the she'll get play based on uh, jock changes, right? The way people wait, wait, but jockey changes, she'll actually get play because she goes from Manessis and Vasquez to Luis Saez. People are going to say, "Wow, why would Luis Saez ride a horse like that?" You know, she did have she did get hung extremely wide in that first turn at, at uh, Gulfstream, which I think is something to be said. But on the other hand, that race came up extremely slow so you know how many points can you give her for being wide in the first turn even if she won the race she would only got you know like a low 80 you know low 80 buyers and that doesn't seem to seem to cut it in here and she's probably going to be chasing wide maybe if the i guess maybe if the horse there from sunland just stops and she inherits the lead maybe she could catch hit the board but uh She'll probably be lower odds than, you know, I would like her to be. I'd, I'd probably rather Vasquez ride her and she'd be 50 to one, right? Yeah, something like that. I, I think if, I think her supporters would probably prefer something a little more nondescript. The fact that she's done all of her training in South Florida and nobody's seen her to maybe drive the price down a little bit, I suppose could to an extent. But um, that racetrack also on, on Florida Derby Day, which was also Gulfstream Oaks Day, was not the typical wide outside Gulfstream track, in my opinion. I thought you actually could save a little bit more ground than you normally could. I don't think she was compromised terribly much. I mean, she was extremely wide, as you as you mentioned, um, which a lot of times is kind of exactly where you want to be on that racetrack. It's it's almost unsightly how wide some of those horses come off the turn. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't think she was terribly hurt. Honestly, I bet her. And I thought when they, it was that short stretch, which is so dopey, because you, you, know, you don't really know how much time is left. But when they got to about what would normally be the quarter pole, I thought she was going to be a draw off winner because the jockey really hadn't sat down. And then once yeah, it looked like it, yeah, it looked like she was going to win. And then that's why this, this race is probably trouble for her. She doesn't look like she wants to go further. I mean, you, you could look for this horse, maybe on a cutback later, you know, cut back to a mile or cut back to seven furlongs. Maybe she could uh, win something down the line. I agree with that completely. I think she could definitely be a very dangerous one-turn horse. Well, speaking of the Gulfstream Park Oaks, the filly who won it was the 13 Affirmative Lady, a daughter of Arrogate, who uh, obviously the connections always had high hopes for. They ran her in two stakes races as a maiden before she finally broke her maiden in late February at Gulfstream, came right back to win the Gulfstream Park Oaks. The uh, morning line maker made her 10 to 1, which put her right in range with a lot of the main contenders. I thought that was a little bit of an underlay. Did you feel uh, strongly about that one way or the other? Yeah, I'd make her a lot longer than, uh, you know, she's 10 to 1 and uh, defining purpose is 12. I would, I mean, I would, I'd probably make uh, Affirmative Lady 20 and defining purpose more like 10. You know, I think, uh, I think for her chances, I think they're, they're not good from a 13 post uh, with Johnny V. Just, he's just going to sit out there and I think she's too slow. Yeah, I agree. I just think she hasn't really. I mean, she's taken a step forward as a three-year-old based on her last race, but not significantly enough to be a major contender here. The 14 is pretty mischievous, who could have arguably been one of the probably top two choices with maybe a, a bit more inside post. I still think she's going to get bet pretty heavily off the uh, the 10 to 1 morning line. I know the 14 will bother some people, but this is a daughter of Into Mischief who has run well on numerous occasions, including in her second place effort last out in the Fairgrounds Oaks. They're going to put the blinkers on which maybe leads to her being a little bit more forwardly placed. She Normally, I would say that Brendan Walsh horses, I think, are going to get better in Kentucky, but she really got better in Louisiana. So I, if there is a forward move in her, I think she looks very dangerous. I'm not dissuaded by the 14 post. I still think this filly is one of the major win candidates. Do you you agree? She's uh, got a chance. According to uh, Clockers, she's really working well with those blinkers at uh, Churchill. So that might be something you might really like. Um, 
I worry about that post a little bit, you know, 14 post because she's got to go forward. So if she doesn't get into a good position, you know, before that turn, um, she's going to be hung out pretty bad. And uh, I worry about that, but she's definitely a contender if she, uh, if she can get out there and, and the blinkers do help her because she's got, she's got some races that fit. I, I was a little, I was a little disconcerned last time when she didn't go on with the uh, South lawn because it didn't really, she didn't really seem to have any excuse last time. So maybe they thought blinkers make her pay more attention. Is what what I'm thinking is uh, what Brandon Walsh and Tyler Gaffleon, or he didn't even ride her last time, but somebody must have put it in Brandon's ear to throw blinkers on her. Yeah, it's also it's worth noting that I mean the the field that she beat in the Rachel Alexandra, which she didn't exactly extend away from either, was not very good. I mean, Miracle came back and and underperformed badly in the Gulfstream Park Oaks. Well, who's your Philly stinks? Right. And, so, and was just like the most she might not be that she might not be that good based on what we've just said <laughs> she might not and maybe yeah. maybe we've talked ourselves out of her and and uh you know into horses more like defining purpose in the alice look although i like the alice look before we got started and the post you know the post is a big concern i was talking to steve bick about it this morning and i said monomoy girl won from the 14 post obviously pretty mischievous is not monomoy girl <laughs> in any way shape or form um doesn't have the speed that she did and and um but still i mean it took her it took everything she had to win that race. Right. Yeah. So it, it, it took, it took a really strong effort for her to win. So it, it is going to be kind of a tough position. Uh, any, any of either taxed or Julia shining, if either of them get in, I mean, I would say, I think you could use taxed underneath. I would actually make Julia shining a, a win candidate as well. If she were, were able to get in, do you feel strongly about either of those two? I, yes. I, I wish Julia shining was in the race because I like Julia shining that again, that's going back to that defining purpose race. And uh, this horse had probably a worse trip than, you know, a much worse trip than Defining Purpose. I mean, you, like you said, Defining Purpose got a pretty good position, whereas Julia Shining was was four, four wide all the way around that track that day. And she looks like she's an improving type, you know, Julia Shining. I, I kind of wish she uh, got in, but she's probably a long ways from drawing in. Taxed, uh, taxed might be a used if, if uh, she draws in because she only ran, you know, two and a half lengths behind wet paint and... You know, she she got a good trip that day, but she's definitely definitely got a chance. Looks like she might be a little bit better filly if taken back to make one run, which is what Bejarano did last time. Obviously, nothing more than a fringe player. Yeah, there, there's a world in which I I really wish that Punchbowl and and Julia Shining ran by Defining Purpose, and then they both could have gotten into this race. I just think it would have been a significantly more interesting race. But if they end up in the Acorn along with uh, with some of the major players from here, I think that could end up being a really interesting early summer objective for a lot of them. And I'll tell you one of the things I thought about Julia Shining. And again, we don't need to drone on about a horse that likely won't run. She didn't have to be ridden the way she did in those three prior starts last time. She was way more into the bit with the blinkers on. And I mean, Saez looked like he was on, on an elliptical in some of these races with the way he was just, just pumping away for furlong after furlong. And, and she, she looked much more polished and professional. She's never going to wow you with a quick move, but you know, she's going to grind away. And so, yeah, I, I think she gets better in a mile and an eighth. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm disappointed. She's not going to be in there as well. Yeah, I agree. Well, hopefully we'll see her down the line. So in terms of, if you were going to make a top pick in this race, what would you, uh, where do you think you'd land? I hate to give out the favorite, you know, but, um, I guess as a top pick, I would probably pick wet paint. If that's what you're saying, most likely winner. Um, 
But the, I think the key to this race for somebody like you and me is who's going to be, who are you going to be used underneath? And we talked about two horses that I think are going to be prices and they are the two, the alleys look and uh, the 11 defining purpose. That being said, as long as Julia Shining doesn't draw in, she would be my second choice. So that that's where I'm looking. Seven over two, 11. And if 16 draws in, that would be my second choice. Yeah, we see this race very similarly. I'm going to play it the same way. I think multi-race bets, I'll I'll want to end with the uh, with the 2, 7, and 11. Probably a little bit, you know, probably two to three times as many units on the 7 because I do think she's just a very likely winner. And, you know, if it's 7, 2, or 7, 11, I'm going to definitely have a, a big piece of it. And, I mean, it might end up being a race that, that wet paint was just much the best because both of those fillies should be somewhat forwardly placed. So... That's uh, that's that's the way I'll handle it as well. Duke, anything else on this Oaks? I don't think so. Oh, I mean, we we did kind of leave out the fact that we would we would use botanical in in multi race bets just because you know you don't want to get beat by a horse that's got that much talent. But we just for odds betting in this race, I, I wouldn't bet on botanical. But I think if you're playing multi race wagers, I wouldn't throw her out. I agree with that completely, and obviously there are a ton of opportunities in multi-race bets, both on Friday alone and then some wagers linking up Friday and Saturday. We've got a lot of content available at uh, InTheMoneyPodcast.com and uh, at the podcast site itself on Apple Podcasts. Rate, like, and subscribe. Duke, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you taking the time, and best of luck this weekend. All right, you too, Nick. Hopefully we can bring home all the cash. We're going to try, that's for sure. Big thanks to Duke Matisse and to all of you, every uh, In The Money Plus member. Be prepared to get the In The Money Plus picks grid for the two days of racing, all the graded stakes races, including the Knicks Go on a Saturday. We'll have those for you. We also have a lot of wagering strategies that uh, pertain to the multi-race bets, both the, the two-day events. I, I can't even keep track of all of them anymore. There are so many. It is a wagering cornucopia, no doubt about it. So thanks again for joining us. A big thanks to Duke Matisse. And until next time, best of luck.